Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at Can you give it one more time to my beautiful, lovely wife? It's her birthday this Wednesday, March 1st. I love her passion. I love her love for people. I mean, she is just so genuine. How many of you know my wife? And you just, you could say, yeah, she's probably the most genuine person that I know. She's amazing. We, uh, we, uh, my wife has bought 19 chickens and so we're having chickens and so I just want to thank you on your birthday for ruining our lives um no but I love her she just cares she just loves everybody and animals and she makes sourdough bread now there's nothing she can't do and so um babe I love you with all of my heart and uh we've been married for 16 years so can you get up for my wife one more time Baptism, 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 baptism. Baptism. If you want to identify whether God is pouring his love out in a unique way, the way you can measure that is by baptisms. We believe that there's something special that happens in the waters of baptism. And as Malcolm read in in, uh, Romans chapter 6, in that lengthy passage, Paul writes kind of some dense thoughts, but he's talking about how in, it is in baptism that we are united with Jesus. That our lives as an expression of our faith and our turning to Jesus. How many of you have turned to Jesus and said, you're the man, I'm wrong, and I'm ordering my entire life around your vision of reality? How many of you have made that decision? We make that decision, we've talked about this for some weeks, through repentance and confession and then through faith, turning to him. But in the waters of baptism, we are giving expression to what Jesus has done for us. You, if you are in Christ, you have been united with Jesus' life. That what Jesus did 2,000 years ago is also true for you, that he defeated sin and death and sorrow and shame, took it in his body, came back from the dead, and we did nothing to achieve that. Jesus achieved that victory for us, and baptism represents that. So in the waters of baptism, let me just say just a few thoughts We deal with two things. Number one, we deal with our relationship with God. One. Two, we deal with our relationship with sin. Everyone say sin. I think we need big words for um, our human condition. And I think the best word, the Bible describes it as sin. Some of you are like, oh, pastor, please don't talk like that in church, right? But I think if anybody is going to talk about sin, I think the church should talk about sin. Here's the good news is that God always meets us where we're at. Can I get an amen? But we need big words like sin in order to understand ourselves 
and the love of God and the ruined condition of our world. Words such as like, I'm wrong or therapeutic jargon, like I I just simply wasn't true to myself and so I messed up. I, I get that, that's all right, you can say those words, but they're just not adequate in describing our state outside of God's love. The word sin captures it. In fact, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever, what? Believes in him shall not perish. So the implication is that the basic fact of reality is that God loves us. But there's also another basic fact. We've got to reconcile ourselves to this fact that you and I are perishing outside the love of God. In other words, the the biblical assessment implied in John 3.16 about perishing is that the human condition is a disaster. You're a disaster, but for the grace of God. Come on. I I need some amens here today. I'm tired. Outside of God's grace, his love, you and I are messed up, to the very core of our being. Some of you agree with that. All right. <laughs> Second Timothy 3 tells us Paul is writing in this one of his last letters to his apprentice Timothy. Paul says, in the last days there shall be lovers of self and money and proud and arrogant and disobedient and resentful and unholy and brutal and they will lack self-control and they will swell with conceit and he goes on and on and on and on about the human condition. You see, sin in part is the refusal and please hear me is the refusal to believe that God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. When we are in sin and our life is shaped by sin, we believe the lie that God does not want us to be filled with joy and life. And what happens when we believe that fundamental lie, we take matters into our own hand and we try to satisfy our desires and our longing on our own terms. So we take our desires and direct it in the wrong direction. Much like when we go to McDonald's. You have a big appetite, don't go to McDonald's. We don't know what's in their meat. And if you work at McDonald's, please forgive me. You can email me at Pastor Ken at whatever, okay? We have appetites. How many of you like to eat? Oh, come on. How many love barbecue? How many like some good organic grass-fed beef with no veganism at all, okay? That's the best amen that I've received over the last two months. I'm kidding, we love vegans here, we love you guys. I used to be one. But with our appetites, here's the thing. You cannot, if you have a good appetite, you cannot go to McDonald's and live on a McDonald's diet. It will poison you. Nothing against Mickey D's. Have some fries every now and again. Those fries are pretty, they're intoxicating. I don't even know what that means. I mean toxic, okay? But here's the thing. What happens is, is that sin, when we choose not to believe that God wants our happiness, and then we try to take our desires and satisfy them on our own terms, we take those desires and we turn them away from God and it only leads to disaster. 
See, we have an unquenchable desire in all of us for goodness, for beauty, for life, for meaning, for significance. Can I get an amen to that? It, it consumes us. Sin is when we direct it in the wrong way. My, my wife and I, I'm going to share just a few more thoughts and then I'm going to open up the altars for all of us here. My wife and I, we, we have a large family. If you don't know, we have seven children. It's all my wife's fault. We have three sets of twins. It was funny. There was like on CBS, it was a national news story. There was a couple that were talking about their two sets of twins. I'm like, are you flipping kidding me? We have three. Where are you, NBC? Put us on, right? I'm like, I'm competing with this other pair. Like, yeah, it's like, what's wrong with me? But we have a large family and it is the desire. It's the dream of my wife and I, as we raise our kids, that our kids are healthy. And all the moms and dads said, amen in here. We want our kids to be healthy physically. We want them to be healthy emotionally. Uh, we want them to be healthy, most important, spiritually. We want their relationship with Jesus to be well-ordered. But we also, it's a rare thing, but we also want our kids to get along. Our house is so loud that when it's not loud, we get a little nervous. Did someone die, right? Our dream is that for our family, we would have Shalom, well-ordered relationships, that our children would have a well-ordered relationship with their father, Jesus. They would have a well-ordered relationship with us, and they would have a well-ordered relationship with themselves and with each other. This is God's dream for us. Shalom. That's what that means. However, sin hijacks that. Sin is a multifaceted uh, thing, uh, we'll call it a rogue force that has spoiled God's creation. Sin in many ways comes and hijacks the desires, the good desires that we have, and we begin to use those good desires for our own sake. And so rather than wholeness, because sin shapes us, this is what happens. We got to reconcile ourselves to the fact of sin. Everyone say sin. Sin is worked through us, sin is done to us, and sin is done in our presence. And when we see something done in our presence, it defiles us. We live in a broken world. Can I get an amen to that? Shaped by the power and the desires of sin. Sin destroys our relationship, wrecks our relationship with our Father, our Father God. Uh, it destroys any, any hope of shalom. God wants this world to be built on trust and commitment and loyalty loyalty and goodness and life and beauty and peace. Those are good things. But in a world of sin, all we have is hostility and racism and resentment and bitterness and rage and murder and violence and corruption. This is what sin does. How many of you think we live kind of in a world like that? Yeah. Sin is rebellion against God's good purposes. Sin, we find it, again, there are many different aspects of sin, is, is not only rebellion against God's good purposes, but it's polluting or it's a pollution. It's a defilement. It's disgusting. That's what the Bible calls it. Sin produces shame in us. When we sin, shame now begins to define our relationship with God and our relationship with others. History, guys, is one big fat cover-up. Adam and Eve question God, they disobey against God, and then they hide from God, and they try to cover their shame. We have been trying to do the same thing ever since Adam and Eve. Sin produces death, it produces sickness, suffering, brokenness, um, emotional and psychic upside-downness. Sin destroys and withers the human soul. 
but for God in his love. We find that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. John chapter 1 verse 25. John the Baptist looks at his cousin and shouts to the crowd. Jesus, here he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus. This is good old gospel preaching here now. Jesus went to the Praetorium on a good Friday. In front of Pilate was beaten almost to death. He then was put, a crown of thorn was then put on his head. He was mocked. He walked the Via Della Rosa all the way to Golgotha and he was crucified. Why did Jesus go to the cross for us? Because he loves us. Not only does he loves us, love us, he also knows that the problem with us is sin and something has to be done. So Jesus, his love is not cheap, it's cruciformed. Cruciform means in the shape of the cross. God's love for you is always filtered through the shape of the cross. If you ever question how much God loves you, think about what Jesus has done on the cross for you. He went to the cross on our behalf and he took on the full aggregate historical weight from the abstract to the emotional and personal sin into his body. He took the sorrow, the pain. He took the depression, the anxiety. He took all the tension. He took the stress. He took everything that has turned our lives upside down and turned us away from God. Jesus, guys, took that for you and I. And he died on our behalf and then bodily came back on the third day. In other words, Jesus is the Lamb of God who on our behalf took sin that we just described. All the things that have been done to us, all the things we've done to other people, and all the things that we have seen done in our presence which has defiled us. He took it in his body. And then he released new life. I talk about this often. I think it's a, it's, an, it's a mosaic of atonement that we talk about a lot. So we talk about different aspects of the cross and what that means for us. But I think this metaphor describes what Jesus did on the cross. I'm almost done. Are you guys still with me? I want to I finish here pretty quick. But Jesus is much like, his work on the cross is much like a water filter. And if you have a water filter, you know, we talk about this often, Water filter is designed to what? To hold on to the toxins. It's designed to hold on to the poison in the water, the pollution in the water. And then if you have a good water filter, it's designed to release fresh water. This is what Jesus does on the cross for us. Jesus takes our sin and gives us back love. Jesus takes our bitterness and he gives back forgiveness. Jesus takes our deepest shame and defilement and he gives us peace and wholeness. Jesus takes all of our curses and cursing and he releases blessing over us. That is what we experience through the death of Jesus for us.
So sin, as Paul talks about in Romans 6, has no authority over you. Why? Because Jesus, the Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, defeated it for you. Sin done against you, sin done through you, all the cycles of pain and shame and immaturity and hurt. And if, if, how many married couples do we have here? You ever get in a fight? All that stupid juice, when you say the stupid things that you say, right? All this, some of you, you like that a little too much. All of the ways in which we have dishonored our relationship with the Father, we call that sin, is taken by Jesus. And by grace, we are then united to Jesus. So sin and shame and guilt and defilement and death and sickness and disease no longer has authority over you. As we close, I just want to say, if you are in Jesus, guys, you're in a completely different zip code. You are in darkness outside the love of Jesus. You were messed up. You were broken. And then Jesus, by his grace, unites himself to you. And now you are in a completely different city, country, we'll call it kingdom. And that kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, joy, newness of life, hope, getting your life put back together, taking the good gifts that you have and you're no longer using them for yourself, but you're using them for the glory of God. Life goes from a stinking dumpster fire to a life filled with meaning and hope and restoration. You are united with Christ. Well, how does this work, Chris? Well, because Jesus is our representative. In other words, what is what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 6 in the waters of baptism? You are uniting with Christ by an act of grace. So now what is true of Jesus is true of you. He died to sin, he defeated it, and he brought victory into our lives. And what he did is now true for us, even though we have done nothing to deserve it. How does that work? Well, it works all the time. You know I'm a diehard Cowboys fan. I hate it, I do. Someone take me to a counselor and help figure out my, my daddy issues. I don't have daddy issues, but whatever it is, I don't know what it is. But you know I'm a diehard Cowboys fan. What's interesting is like, there, there's something about fans and 
the teams that they like. Their life is bound up together in a weird way. If you're a fan and you like sports, you understand this. So if your team wins on Sunday, oh my God, life is so good. But when the Cowboys lose, and they lose often, Life is, it's dark, it's moody, it's melochromatic, it's like, ah, right? Why is that? Well, because the Cowboys in a weird way represent my longings and my hopes and my fears. And come on, some of you are laughing at me, but this is, I'm talking, we're getting deep today with those of you who are sports fans. But in many ways, we put our hope in our team and that relationship and what happens to them affects us. So if our team wins, we win. If our team loses, we lose. When we don't do anything. That is similar to what Jesus has done for us. Jesus went to the cross and defeated sin, shame, death, sorrow, pain, depression, anxiety, grief, a lack of meaning and significance. And then he came back from the dead and he is now the king of kings. I don't know if you know this, and the Lord of lords. He's running all of the cosmos. I know it feels a little bit crazy, but Jesus will always have the last word, and his word is love. But our lives are bound up in Jesus. Jesus won, and because Jesus won the victory over sin and death, we now have the victory. See, I think the problem is, as I close here, I think the problem is a lot of people who are in Christ, they believe they wake up every single morning and they believe they start from the bottom. I want you to imagine your life like a ladder. And I think a lot of Christians think, even though they love Jesus, because this hasn't gotten into their heart and their mind, this truth that we're talking about, they're like, in a way, they're kind of like Drake. We started at the bottom. And now we're here, but we never get here. You hear what I'm saying? We're at the bottom. Drake was right. But we can't go up the rungs of the ladder because we believe that our acceptance in the kingdom of God is based on our performance. Or it's based on our mood. Or it's based on our circumstances. So I can't tell you, but I think there are so many Christians here today, they wake up in the morning and they feel like they're on the bottom. They wake up in the morning and they feel like they're behind. They wake up in the morning and they don't feel loved. And they wake up in the morning and they don't feel accepted. And they wake up in the morning and they feel rejected. And they wake up in the morning and they feel all these different things based on their circumstances. And they don't realize this truth that if you are in Jesus, you are accepted in the beloved. If you are in Jesus, you've been forgiven of your sin. If you are in Jesus, you receive newness of life. If you are in Jesus, you've been lavished with grace. If you're in Jesus, you have been given the Holy Spirit. And yet I think so many times we're like, oh man, I didn't pray like I should have and I didn't do this like I should have and I messed up in this area this week. And we start the bottom. Here's the good news. Every morning, because of your identity, you never start the bottom. You always start at the top. The ladder's your identity. We don't 
determine who we are and our worth by what we do or what we're going through or our circumstances or our feelings. We're not the bottom people if you're in Christ. You are accepted. You are a part of the kingdom of God. You are a son and a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is your primary identity. Man, this is good. You're not here. And you're not going up and down. In the eyes of God, because of what, I screamed a little bit too loud, sorry. In the eyes of God, because of Jesus and his sacrifice for us, you, you start every single morning right here. Nope. Yep. Nope. Right here. Nope. Right here. Right here. Right here. Not this. Right here. Right here. Come on. You are loved. You are blessed. You don't have to hobble through life. So what do we deal with sin? Of course, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to deal with sin. You're a son and daughter who sins. You're not a sinner. You're not a sinner first who needs an identity makeover. No, 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 no. You're at the top, accepted, loved, forgiven, healed. And then you work out your sin problems from there. You work out your trauma from there. You work out the things that are keeping you from realizing this and living out the presence of Jesus. I end here, one, one expert says, the greatest enemy to our life before God is any voice that contradicts the love of God. You are loved today. You're not behind. Not down here. You have newness of life. So where do we land this message? It's 1243. I want to say this. I think there are a lot of Christians here today. I want to pray for you that need a renovation of their imagination. You need a renovation of your mind because you just assume you just kind of work from the bottom and you just kind of go up the rungs. And I think I know why. Just stay with me, almost done. I think I know why many people live at the bottom. It's because they're living on a revelation that they had 15, 20 years ago and they have not grown in their understanding and in their relationship with Jesus. When we talk about the love of God and if you automatically think, oh yeah, I know what that is, you don't. One pastor preacher in the late 19th century, he, he coined a message and went around the world, your God is too small. What he did not mean is that your God is too small so he can't help like your needs or whatever, right? 
That's not the point of that message. The point of the message is your God is, is too small that you're no longer astonished by his love and his grace and his mercy. If we understood how much God loved us, it would transform our lives in a deep and profound way. I want to pray that God would renovate our mind. People have been in the church for some time. God would, I'm just praying that God will, I think some of you, your mind has been graffitied by bad pictures of who God is, and God wants to clean that out today. Some of you have been living on an old revelation. I think God wants to give you a fresh revelation in this season of his love. Everyone said amen. I'm going to pray for another group. I think this group, we were, we were at a prayer meeting at Stephen Patty Rook's house Friday. Great time. Spent a couple hours in the presence of Jesus. I feel like the Holy Spirit gave me a picture. Have you ever seen that movie? It's an old movie. It won, an, it won so many Oscars. I think 1985. It was called The Mission. You ever seen that? No, none of you. All of you are younger than me. Okay. Um, it's a powerful movie of a man who would kidnap indigenous people in South America and then he would sell them into slavery. And it's this whole story of the transformation that took place in his life. One day he comes and he ends up killing his brother-in-law. And after falling into this deep depression, this deep hole, Jesus comes to him. And he's overwhelmed by the grace of God and he repents. And yet he doesn't fully understand what we're talking about. He repents for all of his past misdeeds, all the sin. And so the story goes one day as an act of penance, he puts on this weight, I think it was his sword and something else, he put on his back and he climbed up this mountain as an act of penance. He gets to the top of the mountain and he's gonna go back and do it again. He's overwhelmed, it's heavy, he's sweating, he's, he's weeping because he's like, God, please, I just need your forgiveness. Please forgive me. Well, in this moving scene, as he's on top of the mountain, overwhelmed by this weight on his back, this indigenous person comes over and he looks at the man and says, Jesus has forgiven you. He takes a knife and cuts off the weight off of his back. And in that moment, his life will never be the same again. He was forgiven. I think there's some people here today that your past, even though it's been forgiven, you have not been able to let go. And some of you have been carrying in memories and things that have been done through you or done to you or done in your presence and it's defiled you. And some of you, it's, it, there's so much psychic and emotional energy that goes into trying to keep the past from interfering into the present. I guarantee you, the past, if you don't give it to Jesus, will always come back and wither the soul. And I believe people today are gonna to be set free. Like that man, you've been carrying a weight from your past, maybe something again that has been done to you or something you have done. And I believe today in an act of confession, Jesus is gonna set you free. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, I thank you for your grace. Anyone in this room, you would say, Chris, I want a fresh revelation of Jesus. I'm, I'm tired of starting at the bottom. I want to believe every day that I'm at the top, that I'm in union with Jesus. And I want that fresh revelation. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Okay, all over the place. Father, I thank you right now. You would give every person, every son and daughter, a fresh revelation of your love. 
they begin to see the multifaceted dimensions of the love of Jesus. Let the love of God be poured out by the power of the Spirit into every heart here today. I bless your sons and daughters. You can put your hands down. As your eyes are closed, you say, Chris, um, yeah, I, I, have a, I carry stuff from my past and I want to give it to Jesus. In confession, I want to, maybe it's something you've repented of, but you've just refused to believe that God has forgiven you. It could be maybe trauma. Someone said something to you and you just carry that in your body and your imagination and it affects how you live today. It could even be something that you have never confessed before, but in this moment you want to give it to Jesus. You want to confess and you want to enter into his love and his grace. If that's you, could you just lift up your hand right now? I want to pray for you. Anyone like that? Okay, many of you many of you. Hands everywhere. Thank you for your honesty. You put your hands down. If, if you raise your hand, just put on your heart. Father, we thank you in confession and repentance. Well, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a broken and a contrite heart. And we just come with a broken heart and we say yes to you, Jesus. We say, we bring our whole selves to you. And this moment of honesty and confession, and as we say yes to you and no to ourselves, Father, we give you things that have been done through us, things that have been done to us, things that have been done in our presence. And we thank you for your freedom right now. Jesus, I thank you. Who you set free is free indeed. And I just sense right now, guys, some of you are going to experience a new freedom in your life. I thank you, Father, for that newness of life, that freedom in the mighty name of Jesus. Keep your eyes closed. Last thing, I'm lying. There's probably four more things. If you've never made a commitment to follow Jesus and you're like, I want Jesus. I want the forgiveness of sin. I want the new life. I want to follow the king that you're talking about. I, I might not have all, or you might not have all the, the answers, maybe the questions that you have. You might not have it all figured out, but you're like, okay, I want Jesus to forgive me of my sin. I believe that he did go to the cross for me. And I want that life, Christ. And I believe he bodily came back from the dead and I want to follow him today. I want a brand new start right now. I want that righteousness. I want that peace. I want that joy. If that's something that you want and you want to make a commitment to follow Jesus today, could you just raise your hand right now? I want to pray with you. Thank you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Take 11 hands that are raised. Father, I thank you for every hand that's raised, 12. Lord, I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the power of the spirit of the living God to take over their lives. If you raised your hand, I just want you to repeat this prayer. It's just, it's just a simple prayer to invite Jesus into your life. Church, would like you to repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, I believe you went to the cross for my sin. I put my trust in you, Jesus. I ask that you would forgive me, cleanse me, make me whole, and give me a brand new life. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, can you give Jesus a hand? All right. There's revival in the atmosphere right now. 
Can you sense the presence of God? God's going to do something. I'm going to do something I've I've done once before in my ministry. I'm going to open up the waters of baptism for anyone who's never been baptized. Maybe you've made a decision to follow Jesus before, but you've never been baptized, and you realize today, as an expression of my faith and my allegiance to King Jesus, I know that when I go in the waters of baptism, something's going to happen in my life just like Romans 6 and what Paul talked about. It could be maybe you made it uh, for the first time, you made a commitment to follow Jesus today and you're like, you know what? Why not? Why not give expression by going to the waters of baptism? Here's the thing. It's not mystical, but it's supernatural. And I tell you in the waters of baptism, how many of you experience this? God does something to your body, your mind, and your heart, and it's in the waters of baptism. Your salvation, the acceptance, all that forgiveness, it's sealed up. And your life is set on a brand new trajectory. If that's something you want, every eye open, you say, you know what, Chris, I think it's time for me to do this. Maybe you've been thinking about it for a long time. We have towels. We'll wait for you. We don't care about being a little awkward, but I think this is a great opportunity in an atmosphere of revival to seal what Jesus has done for us. So, you would say, okay, Chris, I... I want to get baptized today. If that's you, I want you to come right up over here. Just stand up and come up over here. Go, dude. Is there anyone else? I feel like there's at least four more that the Holy Spirit is talking to you about baptism. If that's you, stand up, be bold. Come on up. Just come up right over here, Big Rob. You see Big Rob? Rob, raise raise your hand. Come to Big Rob as he raises his hand. Rob, right over there. Church, can you stand up? Let's worship just for two minutes. Lift up your hands. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Let's sing this right now. Jesus, you're good. Tell him how good he is. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.